Welcome to the Jay and Pal Podcast Experience. You're listening to The Staff Room Podcast with Che and Pav. We talk casually yet poignantly about the most relevant topics in teaching today. So come on and chat with us because we love to engage in great conversation. Welcome to the third episode of the summer series of the Staff Room Podcast. Today we're featuring Kevin Leichman from Chesterland, Ohio, and he's talking to us about his book, The Perfect Ten, and so many other great projects that he and his wife, Anala, are currently working on. My name is Pav, and I'm exactly half of the Staff Room Podcast. Yes, exactly half. And I'm joined by my co-host, but I'll let him introduce himself. And I'm Jeff Gargas, the other half of the Staff Room Podcast. It's so nice to finally have you join join me here, Jeff. Edit. Cut, cut, cut. Cut, cut, And I am Che, but I'm not the hurricane because I exhausted all that energy this morning on the drive and uh pap yeah we are looking forward to this summer series yeah. uh this conversation with kevin one i guess one about his book but it's really layered it's not really about yes, his book and it's exactly. not a hierarchy he's written uh two books he's well established in the edutopia blogging space he is really open and um very Welcome. active on Twitter with uh, all kinds of conversation welcoming and opening especially yeah. to his sort of um quest to dive into that entrepreneurial mm-hmm. space where you're offering conferences and workshops and classes and stuff like that and it's very transparent very open to the the process and really engaging um I've always liked about our interaction with Kevin Kevin is a a giver first mm-hmm. uh, very lots of reciprocity he always honors other people's work before mm-hmm. he starts saying hey look at me look at me look at me right. in fact Quite the opposite, very seldom promoting his content, but really engaging in your content. And we know with the Staff Room podcast, the Kevin is and the drive. Kevin uh, has always been very open to commenting on our content, writing long blurbs about what he liked about this or what he didn't like about that or, or, or referencing it. And I think that's the marker of someone that really is trying to build community. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have, uh, I have content, I have books, I have workshops, I have courses. But I also want to honor your work as much as I would like you to appreciate mine. And we had a really fun conversation because, you know, it's always tough to talk to high school English teachers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as, as we joke about this in this in this episode coming up is this idea of, you know, with Che and Pav, 
Mm-hmm. That's that's sort of a sports analogy because I just referenced myself in a third person. Oh, is um, that only uh, sports uh, oh, sportscasters do? Only sportscasters do that? I don't know. Do other people in know. other realms refer to themselves like that? I don't know. It's definitely a sports trait or a known sports trait or it's a oh. trivialized, made fun of sports trait. Interesting. You know, Chase's going to have a good podcast. Chase's yes. going to talk about a lot of good things. Chase's going to look to Pav to funnel all the appropriate answers. Okay. And now I don't know what I'm talking about. Because, you know, and I'm fixated on the moment. <laughs> and you deviated from my moment. But we've enjoyed these summer series and we're, yeah. we're looking, forward to sh- to looking forward to sharing this conversation. And um, I would almost deviate it. For us, Pav, you know, this summer we've changed sort of the way we... Last summer we were doing The Drive and doing podcast episodes. And it was a little draining. Right. And I think we found that our content in the podcast episode really lacked... Because we didn't have that same energy. I don't even know. No, black I, don't, I don't know if, if that's the case. But I do know that we um, we came close to... Last summer was very different uh, in terms of our... our uh, ab- not only ability to uh, to engage in content, but uh, the world was different mm-hmm. one year ago. And so um, we're just finding that perhaps after this year, we, we may be a little bit burnt out with consistently putting out uh, content. This is not to say that there's a lack of content. There's tons of things that we could be talking about. But I think everybody just needs to breathe a little bit. And we're all finally out and enjoying time with family, with friends. We're traveling. We're doing things this is kind of like our opportunity to catch a breath because september is going to be here before we know it and then it's going to be back to you know that grind and the grind is a great grind um we're going to be brewing some really good things but we need that opportunity to breathe and i think the summer series really allows us to be able to do that because we're on the mic now and we're very relaxed because Mm -hmm. we know we have about five or six interviews we're really excited to share and then we just okay let's do a a 10 minute intro so people get their their pav fixation (laughs) yes a little bit of jeff you know what (laughs) (laughs) I, i remember now what i was talking about okay what was it see the natural flow you're like that's how natural um was the idea of uh kevin we joked about we've often joked it if we find people that give us pushback it's not people that engage in our content mm-hmm. it tends to be people that give pushback based on the title of our content yes. and we always joke that these tend to be high school english teachers right we haven't had much pushback necessarily from elementary teachers yeah uh, probably because they engage in our content listen and then give some feedback then give some pushback <laughs> but the, so you just made a grand statement i, I right just there. did all you high school english teachers <laughs> that don't read. bother to listen to our content but make comments about it's our content judging a book by its cover that's what it is and that was sort of the tongue-in-cheek uh, joke yeah. that kevin and i had because we've had we've you know we've had a few interactions who's giving us pushback i always say it's not really pushback on their content because they reveal instantaneously but that they, they don't engage in our content they push back on the title right or the question and we know for a lot of our podcasts we formulate it as a question because right. we know as teachers that's a great way to, to enti- hook, hook yeah. entice an audience uh, make you think you're part of the discussion so you know what uh, baby steps, baby steps with high school English teachers when we have these conversations. <laughs> so if you want to know more about that conversation, <laughs> you'll have to get into the episode and actually listen to the interview, uh, which is a really great one. And uh, and I, I, you know, it was one of the... 
They're all great interviews, but it was a very exciting one, a very engaging conversation as there was a lot of back and forth. And as we have mentioned before, um, uh, Kevin and Anala both engage really well with other people's content. And that makes the conversation um, a little bit more open. And uh, there's lots of perspectives to explore. And so we really enjoyed that aspect of this conversation. And so we do hope you enjoy this mm-hmm. conversation. Do have anything else to add before we dive into this? No, I think I'm ready to start listening. I just get to dive in. You, on the other hand, you got to edit and make it all sound perfect. <laughs> Which we will get done by Friday evening. Everyone, thank you for joining us for our summer series on the Staff Room Podcast. Welcome to the Staff Room. My name is Pav Wander, and I'm here with my co-host, Che Cheney, and you're listening to an episode from our summer series, We're speaking to some incredible educators that we've met along our educational podcasting journey over the last two years, and we're very happy to amplify their voices and stories and highlight the important work they are doing in education. Today, we are speaking to Kevin Leichman, who is an author, educational consultant, the co-founder of TLC Educate, and the Director of Academic Mindset in Chesterland, Ohio. And with him, we will be talking a little more about his book, The Perfect Ten. We're looking forward to this conversation, so let's get right into it. Welcome, Kevin. It's so nice to speak to you again. Pav, Che, thank you so much for having me. It's always a blast. Kevin, uh, we're really excited to have you on this show. You can tell by my tone, but I'll I'll get it going here in a second. Um, we've interacted with you on so many different levels. You're involved in so many different projects in education. And Pav and I know that our growth has been exponential through the work that you share. You're really out there in that space, sharing your insights, sharing your wisdoms, but always open to other people's insights and other people's wisdoms. Regardless of what project you're in, you're always uh, creating an inviting and welcoming space for learning. So Bab and I are really excited to have this conversation. One, because we anticipate we'll learn a few things. Well, I know I'll learn some things. Pav, you know, she's got things pretty uh, set. Um, but I also know our audience is going to learn a lot of things as well. So before we dive into some of the specific content, why don't you let everyone know you know a little bit who you are, sort of a little bit about your educational journey and what's led you into some of those spaces of writing, uh, presenting, uh, consulting, which are uh, so critical to your sort of story in education. Let our audience know a little bit about your path, your journey, and how you ended up right here, right now. Sure. And I mean, the first thing I have to say is I feel the same way about you guys. And, you know, when you talk about uh, creating this space where educators can really come in and talk and converse and learn from each other and not just try to prove their point or, you know, hit that, you know, level of knowledge where they're uh, over somebody else. I think creating that uh, welcoming, inclusive space is so important. And you two exemplify that in so many ways. So uh, I really appreciate our friendship just because as I've been trying to build spaces like that, I'm watching how you're doing it. And it's just been unbelievable. Uh, So I I feel like we're all kind of on this journey together. And that makes it even more fun for me. You know, it's not just uh, me and my wife sitting in our office at home, pounding away, you know, we've got our friends in Canada and we've got, uh, you know, friends really across the globe uh, from that uh, Twitter PLN that are just uh, contributing to and adding to that space. So uh, very thankful for that. Uh, as far as me, uh, I taught for eight years. This is my first half of the year outside of the classroom, which I'm, you know, I'm getting a little spilkis. That's a, a Yiddish word for ants in the pants. Um, so I don't know. I might have to jump back in, but 
Uh, I taught for eight years uh, in English and reading. I uh, taught every grade from seventh to twelfth. I've also adjuncted at the college level. Uh, I'm still doing that, where uh, I teach courses on diversity and equity. And uh, I've always wanted to be a teacher. And uh, you know, my wife was asking me the other day. She's like, "When did you know you wanted to be a writer?" And I was like, "I never knew I wanted to be a writer. I just knew that I liked writing, just like teaching. I never knew like." I, you know, it wasn't, I need to be a teacher. I have to be a teacher. It's like, I, I just like this thing. And so many people in my life is in, have encouraged me just, Hey, whatever your passions are, go follow them, see what happens. So I think that's really what's led me into this path in education where I am writing, I am speaking, I am doing some of these things, not necessarily because I dreamed of doing it, but because I just like doing it. And I think it's valuable. And it, uh, you know, the more value I can add to this world in a positive way, the more fulfilled I feel. So uh, that's really, you know, my context is just I'm a guy out here trying to, uh, you know, shoot my shot in any arena that uh, seems relevant and just uh, continuing to move forward. Yeah, Kevin, I mean, we've followed your work uh, pretty much since we arrived on uh, on social media, since the very yeah. beginning, the very start of the podcast. And and we've really seen a lot of this work and, and we, we uh, very much respect the breadth of knowledge that you've displayed with respect to mentorship and uh, highlighting student achievement as well. Like from the very start, we've gotten that sense from you. Uh, and that brings us to this book that, uh, that we want to talk to you about today, The Perfect Ten. Give us a little bit of a backdrop on on this project and and sort of how it came to be. Sure. Uh, it was just a fortuitous timing of different things coming together at the same time. And, uh, you know, I had taught middle school first and then I went on, on to high school and I kind of followed my kids. So, you know, ninth grade, then 10th. And I'm finally at the point in my career where I have students who have graduated and gone on and now they're doing other things outside of school. And it gave me a great opportunity to uh, be able to connect with them after high school and say, hey, tell me a little bit about your school experience. And what I found sometimes wasn't all that surprising, but it was really interesting to hear from their perspective. Sometimes it was uh, surprising. But when they could give me that honest look and they can say, you know, I've stepped away from high school now. I'm looking at it, having gone through it. And this is what I experienced some of the things I heard just absolutely blew me away. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I'm having talks about mindset and I'm having talks about equity and I'm getting in these groups where we're going through that. And I'm listening to my students, like these voices are not represented in these conversations. And what they're saying does not match what us adults are saying about them or what we might be assuming about them. Now we might not be far off in every angle, but we're not including them and we are missing some important details. So as I started talking to them, like, hey, would you be interested in putting these ideas out? Yes, absolutely. And every student I asked for, yes, yes, yes. And I'm like, wow, you guys are really excited, huh? And they were like, when do we get to have our voice displayed where adults and teachers and parents actually see it, you know, and respect it? So, uh, you know, I was just surprised how willing they were to jump on board. So. Uh, all of a sudden, I had these 10 students, and I spoke to uh, Sarah, uh, Dr. Sarah Thomas, the uh, founder of EduMatch, and she was like, hey, I think you got something here. And we, you know, we worked out a, a book contract, all the students are on board, and the writing just, 
began and it was mostly interviews. So I would just go back and forth with them. And uh, it was great for me too, on a personal level, because I'm like, oh, I get to talk to my kids again. Like I miss them and uh, get to see them as adults and see what they're doing with their lives now. But uh, it was just this awesome opportunity to bring it all together and say, okay, student voice is here. Now let's respect it. Let's reflect on it and let's learn from it. Just like we would from other teachers and parents and adults. Kevin, you bring up uh, some great points and I, I made some jot notes because this is what I do and my thinking is never linear. So I'll throw out some comments. You can comment on them. You can eye roll uh, whatever you choose or ignore them all. <laughs> uh, don't worry. I'm used to talking a lot and having ignored endlessly. Right, Pav? Uh, but we'll discuss that later. Um, it was funny. I actually made a little joke. Pav and I on the side because you were talking about creating spaces and you talked. Uh, it made me think of a quote. You, some people want to be right and some people have to be right. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be right, but it's a wanting to be right in a space. And so you collectively share knowledge. And I was laughing as you were talking about uh, your career, not because I was laughing at your career, but maybe I will at the end of this interview. Some people do. <laughs> but Pav, in relation to that quote, Pav and I always talk about the spaces we're in, and we always talk about, we try to figure out who, who are the, the type of people that are pushing back on our content. And we joke, you know, I want to know who hates us the most. It's, it's high school English teachers. <laughs> and we don't we don't have any empirical data but sometimes we go through and say who's giving us the most pushback yeah. and then we go oh it's a high school english teacher oh it's a high school english teacher oh it's a high school english teacher so it's sort of tongue-in-cheek when you were talking about this I think this conversation could go wrong pretty fast if kevin holds true to some of our observations but of course that's all uh yeah. tongue-in-cheek how'd you know i was recruiting them the whole time and just that's right you, you my plan. If, I, if we're getting pushback in social media it's an 80 percent chance it's a high school english teacher uh, and that doesn't mean you're not right. It's just an observation we've made. Um, but I really like uh, now connect to a little bit more serious content or the the opportunity, I guess, you were afforded by having the same students on a journey. I, I immediately thought I've never had a collection of students. I reminded me of my coaching where I could coach kids three, four, five, six years. And at the end, you have such a yeah. taste of, of where they've come. Much as you teach and you feel you've gone from here to here in a year, the opportunity to have your students extend for such a large period of time, I think, is one that many teachers haven't really experienced. And I'm really glad you took that opportunity and this unique experience to turn it into something of real value. You talk about student voice. I know you're a huge fan of student voice. And I think as you were talking about, we get a general sense of what our students are like. But because we teach so often, sometimes we forget to recheck it and reaffirm it mm -hmm. and pick up on the nuances of what our students. So we have a general idea of what our students are feeling. But because of sort of the hustle bustle of education, sometimes we forget to go back to the source. You know, it, I might have yeah. known the source a year ago, but that story changes it's the same way we talk about our learning changes day to day. So I really like the fact that you talked about student voice and really going back and picking up on the subtle and the nuances and understanding we might get it, but we don't get it enough. And we want to make sure we honor it mm -hmm. and go forward. And so your story talks about this concept of of perfection. So uh, you define and then redefine the concepts of perfection. So why is it such an important conversation to both have as students of teachers of what this notion is or could be of uh, the vernacular or the idea of perfection? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, I was blessed to be in that opportunity. I wish every teacher could have that experience because that grew me so much professionally just to see how I changed as a teacher in relation to the eyes of these students as well. So they could tell me this is, you know, what you've been going through, Mr. Lightman, this is how you've changed. This is, you know, things that I've noticed. And I'm like, wow, like that's a better PD for me than a lot of what I've been in. So, um, you know, that just the, the pleasure was all mine on that end. As far as perfection, 
there's two aspects of this that I think are so crucial. One is the idea of mindset and the other is the idea of equity. And, you know, these are like my two loves. These are the things I talk about a lot, mindset and equity. And when you think about perfection, it really hits both. So on the self level, whether it's a student or a teacher, we have an idea of how we should be in a classroom, right? And that could drive us to excellence, but more often, and the research shows, it typically just drives us crazy. And, you know, it just, it plays on our insecurities. It plays on our anxieties. Uh, It does a lot negatively for our mental health. When we think about what we are, we're always comparing it to what we think we should be. Not necessarily anything truthful, just our perception of what that might be. So perfectionism often hurts the person that's experiencing it. So that's a big part of why I wanted to redefine it because I knew it hurt me personally. You know, when I was failing out of college, I was comparing myself to every other student instead of thinking about who I was and playing on my strengths. I was always worried about, I can't be this, I can't be that. And I was having a lot of anxiety. I was having panic attacks, uh, you know, throughout my schooling. And it was all because of just that idea of, I'm not perfect and I need to be, what's going on here? So in, in terms of mindset, I always found perfection important. But then I started thinking about the equity implications of this. When I started meeting other teachers and listening in on the faculty lounge conversations and some of the things that were happening you know, behind the scenes, and I'd hear them speak about students and say, this is a bad student. And I would always give pushback like, okay, why is this a bad student? Why do you feel that way? And that's when these ideas of perfection would come in. Well, they don't raise their hand enough. They don't participate enough. They don't turn in enough homework. And I'm starting to think, does that make them a good student if they do that? Or does that just make them better in your eyes? Because that's your idea of what a perfect student is. Because my perfect students sometimes don't do any of those things, right? But for me, they're perfect in different ways or they have different traits that I just, I am so uh, in love with and things that they're just so empowered by that it makes them successful and it makes them amazing and unique. So, you know, when we talk about perfection in terms of equity, a lot of times, and it happens with parents a lot too, they have an idea of how their child is supposed to act or what what's good behavior versus bad behavior, but it's subjective, right? So because they're pushing that on their child or their student, they're always stacking them up to something that doesn't really define that individual. So the individual either has to change their own identity or they have to be a bad kid. And that's a tough choice for them to make, right? Uh, Especially when you're in middle school and you're in high school and you're having those transitions and you're trying to find out who you are. Now here's people saying, well, that part of your identity, I don't like that part. That is challenging for a student to overcome. And who does it hurt the most? Low SES students, right? Students that are uh, uh, minorities, students who are disadvantaged in other ways in the school system, it only amplifies what they have to deal with on a daily basis. So uh, I really wanted to address perfection for those reasons. One, mindset issues. Hey, we're hurting ourselves with this view. But two, and this is what I think is more important, we're now passing that on to everyone we interact with. That's important. We need to be aware of what our ideas of perfection are because we are going to project those outwards. I I love uh, the questioning that you've uh, you've started that topic with of perfection of yeah. really breaking down that term 
to uh, to see what it means to several different groups of people, not only the self, but uh, but everybody involved, parents, educators, and and really picking apart that word and what okay, we all know what the definition of the word perfection is, but what does it mean to you? And and through that, you were able to find these uh, the the mindset portion and then the equity portion, and it really had me thinking about a conversation that Che and I have had. Uh, in the past in, in two regards, uh, one on the equity side of things and the other on the toxic productivity or toxic positivity yeah. side of things. And we set up these expectations of students without them even having a chance to figure out what what the concepts mean to them or what the whole idea of being a great student means to them. So we've set that up and we've created those educational gaps immediately. Because they're they're always trying to catch up to what your expectations are of a particular thing. So um, I appreciate that you you brought that up and that you mentioned uh, those two realms and how they integrate and how they um, uh, meld together to create this this idea of perfection and how it can be so subjective to different um, different people and, and students. It's different to students. It's different to educators. It's different to parents. And so that that's perfect. And I, and I like that you define that and redefine that as well. So that was really cool. And as you were speaking um, before, as you were uh, mentioning earlier, that uh, you've had this opportunity to grow with your students. So you've had this, this chance to evolve with them. And I think that what really struck me about that was you really get to be a guide on the side with that. Yeah. There's no, there's no real hierarchy there because you're all growing together and they're going to see some very vulnerable sides to you. Um, very much so. Yes, very much so. And just as much as you would see with them. And I think that that's an opportunity that not a lot of educators get to have as much as we try to be that around our students is a very limited amount of time and exposure to the students. And that had me thinking about um, our next question here is, is what did you learn from the conversations that you've had with these 10 students and not just in the making of this, uh, this book, but over time, what were some of the, the big lessons that you took away from these students and not only these students in particular, but any students that you've had in the past and even since these, uh, these 10 particular students, what are some of those lessons that you've taken away? I think some of the biggest lessons I've really learned is just how complex every individual is, not just student, just individual. And the beginning of any foundation of learning is understanding perspectives. And I didn't really realize that at first, uh, you know, I came from a school that was very big on critical pedagogy and, you know, we spoke a lot about, uh, you know, empowering student voice, making it a part of your classroom, being co-learners. But I didn't really feel that until I actually met these students and I started realizing how varied their perspectives were and more importantly, why. And once you started digging at that why, you really started to understand what's driving these students, what makes them feel successful, what makes them feel like a failure, what builds them up, what uh, destroys them, essentially. And uh, just by having those conversations, I realized, wow, the core content, you know, reading the worksheets, doing the uh, fill in the bubbles, all those things, it's so unimportant 
to the grand scheme of who they're trying to become and what they're trying to accomplish in life. However, when I would step back and find out what are you trying to do in life? What are your priorities? What are the things that make you tick? Then I was always able to bring in the worksheets and bring in everything else in a way that benefited them and not in a way that harmed them. And that to me was the key lesson because I got that, uh, that reflexive practice from growing with those students and hearing them the year later, this is how this made me feel. This is what this did for me. Um, this is how I felt on the standardized test that I had to do after we had gone through X, Y, Z. And, you know, maybe I had a different viewpoint on it, but I couldn't have that until I gave students power in my classroom. Right. And I think for most teachers, that's like the scariest thing to do is actually relinquish power in your classroom and say, you know what? We're not going to do my curriculum because I say this is what we're going to do. We're going to do our curriculum. So let's start building it together. Where would you like to start building from? And, you know, taking those shifts in my classroom uh, allowed these conversations to continue. I definitely don't write a book with 10 students if I didn't start with that foundation of, Hey, students, you actually have a voice in this class and I'm going to respect it and value it so that when we got to this point much further on in my career, now they were able to see like, oh, you know, if Mr. Lightman respects our voice and wants to uh, elevate it, other people might respect it too, right? And that has been key. We, you know, walking the walk instead of just talking the talk has really, you know, changed my own opportunities as a teacher and my own growth, but it's also allowed them to feel more confident, even in the face of having very traditional teachers many times. So, you know, I've watched them overcome that and say, you know what, I'm on my journey. This teacher's on their own journey, but that doesn't have to change my identity. My perspective matters too. And that's, that's really what's uplifting for me when I look at these students and I learn these lessons from them. Hey, all of our voices matter. Contributing to the conversation matters. And we just, we can't get caught up in that self-doubt. Those are some uh, great responses, Kevin. I, I, I've, as always, I take some notes, but I have this, the perfect 10 is really the journey to appreciation of student voice and understanding the, as you use that word perspective, the, the vastness of how those voices are different all the time. And when we bring it back to our space, you guys were, Pav, you were talking about perfection. I, I jotted down the word compliance that uh, yeah. our, Perception of perfection is really a measure of how compliant you are to expectations, i.e. following meeting the curriculum expectations, class guidelines like learning skills. And if you can ascend to those that we cement in the ground is untouchable, then you get to be this notion of a perfect student, which is really just, I'm really good at playing the game. I can be absolutely compliant. Mm -hmm. And part of the foundation of, of or what I'm sort of processing my own learning is that the perfect 10 is the foundation that this is a co-creation space and we don't chase expectations or learning skills that are cemented in the ground. We understand that we can move around them. So when you use student voice to co-create expectations, like what do you want to learn? Well, then I can, if I have that big idea, the little idea of standards of how to write are going to manifest themselves organically. And so I sort of picked up on that. Um, and then I also had, Pav, we talked about, we've talked about recently with uh, Tom Shimmer about assessment. And Kevin, a lot of your 
uh, ideas of the notion of what we have as perfection puts that pressure on our students, that toxic positivity, toxic productivity, or that imposter yeah. syndrome that we inundate our students mm -hmm. with this notion of perfection that in inhibits them from acting. Similar to the uh, idea of, of our feedback, when we give feedback and assessment, we have to realize how does that student internalize that and does it put them on a path of continued growth or does it put them on a path of I'm going to disconnect? And when we have really rigid ideas of what a student needs to ascend to, what are they doing internally? Like, do they thus disconnect from the system of education? I think then it ties back into that equity framework because not everyone comes to school with a neutral um, outlook on what the education system can provide for them. Our racialized communities yes. historically don't come to school with a neutral idea. And so you... Mm -hmm. I just made that connection there when we provide feedback or in this case, talking about this notion of perfection, um, if we don't tailor it to be personalized and understand that our students already bring a genius, a level of perfection within them, we just need to harness it and honor it more so than say, um, I need to identify it. And I think, Kevin, that's really what your work here is that our students are perfect. Our students are geniuses. And if we don't see it, it's inherently because we haven't done uh, the work to facilitate that. Um, that's really long-winded, but that's what I do. Um, now yeah, and I think you're right on point. I mean, just when I think about the 10 students that I featured, I, I made sure that as you look at those students, and this was a learning experience for me too, so I got to really interview them in depth multiple times. I got to learn more about their stories than I ever even knew as their teacher, which was you know so thrilling for me. But you start to see that their success pattern is based on, again, their perception of reality, not based on what their teacher thinks or what their parents think or what whoever else thinks. And everything that spoke against the success they were trying to create was really speaking against their identity. I mean, as a whole. So when you talk about like bringing in feedback, if my feedback does not align with their purpose and their mission of being in school, then no, I'm not helping them. I'm harming their identity. Now, that doesn't mean I can't give them feedback and say, well, there's a grammar error here, right? But I have to understand how that aligns to who they are and what they want to accomplish, right? So, uh, you know, in terms of uh, evaluation, feedback, perfectionism, their voice is so incredibly important. And I think from the very start of meeting your students all the way through the very last interaction you might have with them in a school setting. Because if we stop having that reflexivity, then yeah, our feedback is meaningless to them. It's either harming them or it's just bouncing right off of them because it's not considering who they are. So uh, Che, I think you're, you're absolutely nailing it with that. I'll follow this up with a question because uh, you know a lot of my random questions never are a question at all. They're just to become talking points, but <laughs> you do so much great work and you've, you've really demonstrated that connection to student voice. Uh, the, mm -hmm. the idea of perfection, and then uh, your idea of mindset. Uh, we haven't embedded rustling yet. I don't know if you use that as a teacher tactic <laughs> in the classroom. But, you know, uh, joking aside, you also do a lot of work on a burnout. And how does that er, layer of complexity sort of tie into your abilities and your your teaching tactics? Um, and then how does that sort of play? And Or do, is there a connection there? Sometimes we 
when we have our projects, sometimes we compartmentalize, but when we think and reflect, we realize mm -hmm. they all layer together to help move me forward. Mm -hmm. Does your burnout work? I know this is a little off topic, but does your extensive work in teacher burnout, does it play into this? Do you see this in your students? Does it guide the way you teach in order to facilitate seeing that identity of your students and not uh, unintentionally erasing that identity? So if you could talk a little bit about that burnout and how that layers into that, that synergizes, that'd be wonderful. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny, you guys are just like me. We're all working on so many projects, but I think at the end of the day, we do want it all to tie together nicely in a neat little ribbon. So, uh, you know, all my work, yeah, I do some separate things, but I really do think about the big picture. And in terms of burnout, when you really look through uh, the indicators of burnout and the things that really impact it in a positive way, you know, helping to reduce burnout, uh, Things that come up are things like self-efficacy, strong mentorship and guidance, uh, strong coping and wellness habits uh, in and out of the work uh, environment. So when I start thinking about my students, I absolutely apply my burnout learning really first to myself because I was a burnt out teacher. That's what my dissertation was about. It was about my burnout and then how I used the research and I used a lot of the uh, the, the tricks and the tools and the, and the profession to overcome that. But when you start looking at your students then and you apply the same burnout framework and you understand anybody who is in any kind of demanding work situation that has pressure, who actually cares about what they're doing too, and that's important, they're all at risk of burnout. Mm -hmm. So for many of our students, what do they do? They detach and isolate. Why? Because they actually want to be good students. And how often have some of our students heard, well, you're not really compliant, right? Like you said earlier, or you're not following the rules well enough, or you're not doing it the way I want you to do it. So no, you're not a good student. That is so disheartening for somebody who actually wants to do well for themselves. I've never in my life heard a kid say, you know, I want to be a bad kid. I, I, that's what I'm really trying to do. You know, I've never heard that. Uh, I always hear students say, you know, I want to do better, not just at school, but maybe just it's some aspect of their life. I want to be a better person. I want to be a better human being. So when we understand that, we understand that a lot of what we see in students aren't necessarily that they're bad kids or that they're having a tough time. It's that they are legitimately burnt out. So how do we uh, make a positive impact on that? It's those same strategies that work for teachers. Self-efficacy. Students need to know that they're good at something and they need to feel confident and they don't have to feel confident in every single thing that they do. I get nervous about things too. I get nervous about coming on a podcast. I'm like, oh, wow, people are going to hear my voice. Yikes. Uh, so, you know, it's not that you have to be confident about everything, but you do have to feel like you are empowered in some way. And if you feel that, you can apply that to the new things or the challenging things. Um, having strong mentorship, that changed how I taught. You know, at first I thought I was coming in and I had a lot of teachers tell me, you know, old veteran teachers, they would say, you have to be mean. Don't smile until December. And I started thinking about my burnout research and some of the other things I'm doing. And I'm like, but what about that mentorship piece? Like they have to know that they can come to me honestly and genuinely. And I'm going to respond to them honestly and genuinely. And I'm going to give them advice with the goal of helping their life and not harming them or making them just more compliant. Right. So by establishing some of those kind of boundaries, uh, you know, when it comes to burnout, I had a lot of students tell me, you know, this testing is burning me out. These things that we're doing in class are burning me out. And that put me in a position where I could start applying what I know there in that field to 
how can we make this class function that's not harming you, right? Because we can't change everything. Can't change the test. Can't change the million practice tests I have to give. Those were awful. But, you know, I think most of us would agree with those ones. But, but at the end of the day, I could at least say, how can we help protect your mental health and well-being? How can we get you to fall in love with some aspect of school? And how, more importantly, how can we get you to fall in love with some aspect of yourself that's going to help you overcome these things that maybe we can't change yet? And then maybe that empowers you to get to a position where you can change it. So, you know, that's really my hope. But uh, I think the burnout work is kind of the thing that's been circling around everything else I do. Mm -hmm. Because if we're not taking care of ourselves, and again, I know this from experience, you don't take care of yourself, you're really limited in how you can impact others. So, you know, I would tell students, hey, be healthy. And they would see me like chugging soda and eating candy all day. Like, Mr. Lightman, are you sure you're healthy? Like, you might not be the best model for that. And, you know, students told me that. I'm like, wow. Like, I, I better walk the walk if I'm going to talk the talk. And that helped me a lot. So, you know, busted. <laughs> <laughs> busted, yeah. And and I really like that uh, you've been able to – it centers around that, that partnership, that relationship, that – uh, you know, you're giving your students feedback in order for them to do better in, in their own ways, but they're also giving you that feedback as well. And mm -hmm. you've, you've enabled that by creating that relationship and that partnership in the space. So I, I love that link between burnout that you've just highlighted and, and feedback. Like you've mm -hmm. really connected those two things very well. And, and you were mentioning, I highlighted that term that the feedback that you could, that you give as an educator could be harming their identity. And uh, although that, that concept, I'm very fully aware of just hearing that statement just, just really brings it home. Um, you know, you, the feedback that I give to different students for the same mistake, yeah. whether it's, yeah, it is going to be completely different. It's going to be internalized completely differently. So I could be giving somebody uh, for the exact same mistake, I could be giving somebody some really worthwhile feedback, but for somebody mm -hmm. else, I could really be harming their identity. Yeah, and and that's a really poignant thing to keep in mind as an educator as we differentiate, if we as we open up uh, our spaces to allow for that voice and um, and and really getting students to take ownership of their own learning that has to stem through their identities as well. So, uh, so thank you for that point. And I don't know if you wanted to add anything onto there as well. No, I just, I get so excited when we talk about it. I'm like, yeah, yeah for the students, let's go, you know, um, <laughs> but you know, it's just, you consider, uh, two students, same assignment, same mistake. And I think when you flip it, when you think about it from the other uh, perspective, I think that makes a phenomenal educator. If you are equipped with the tools to give different feedback to those two different students, that nice. shows how in tune you are as an educator to their needs. So, uh, you know, for teachers who do that, I know being an English teacher, sometimes we have to grade and we might be monitored. I've been monitored by, you know, uh, my APs and you have to grade hundred essays this week and you need feedback. And I know how tempting it is to get a stamp that says, grammar error to, to you know, just kind of go through the page. But the teachers that can take the time, and even if it's just a quick one sentence or one phrase, that's just, I know you're working on this. Here's our next level or here's our next step. And doing something like that and individualizing it and personalizing it is just, I think that's the mark of a phenomenal educator. 
So kudos to anybody out there that's saying, you know what? I, yes, I have to get my feedback out and I can't take forever and I can't take these papers home to grade, but I can recognize my individual students' needs and I'm going to honor those. Some great points. Um, you know, as we wrap up, um, I'll get you a chance to share again where we can connect with you. But of course, we'll put all the notes in the episode with details. So you don't need to be, you know, really explicit with everything being spelled correctly, because <laughs> I am not here to give you any feedback on your spelling today. Um, <laughs> I, I must say, you know, I, I always, I haven't, some vernacular, I haven't figured out how to get around is saying I'm excited to be here because I, I hear it all the time. And so I sort of joked about it at the beginning of the episode, but I really was excited and I love this conversation. At some point, if either one of you come up with a vernacular that I can start an episode without saying I'm really excited, but articulate that I'm really excited, please uh, help me out with that. Uh, overall, the thing I'm most excited about this is that we went through a conversation path with a high school English teacher and I still think that we're good friends with Kevin, and I still think we could engage in further dialogue <laughs> later about education. So maybe my, my little anecdotes about not getting along with high school English teachers have been completely false. Um, but Kevin, you are doing so much on the educational scene, providing so much great content, valuable content, but not as a sage on stage, not as some hierarchy of I'm giving wisdom to you, but you really do honor stories and conversation and spaces. And we really appreciate you taking some time and sharing some of your wisdoms here. And let us know, let our audience know how they can connect with you to maybe continue and further the conversation for mutual growth and collective learning. Sure. So uh, first of all, I, I don't say I'm excited to be here. I say I'm grateful to be here. Um, so there you there have you it. Uh, I think gratitude okay. is really the key. And I think it's what best summarizes being uh, on with you two and uh, getting to learn from both of you as well. So uh, I've just been grateful for that experience for these last few years and uh, excited to continue that. I can be your high school English teacher ambassador. And I will, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Love that. I will, uh, I'll draw that bridge. I'll connect everyone. I'll make it work. I'll find a way, or at least I'll try. <laughs> but uh, as far as, uh, you know, what's next for me, uh, looking forward with my wife uh, to continuing growing TLC Educate, uh, looking to put a blog out there soon. And just like I think my students' stories and narratives are important, I think ours are as well as educators, as people that are going through different things. Um, so, you know, I'm going to do a series here on uh, how to get started in entrepreneurship just off of here was my experience because nobody told me, nobody taught me, and I'm just guessing. Mm -hmm. So I, I think um, in this kind of field, we're missing a lot of that just uh, genuine honesty of this is this is what I did. This is how it worked. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I think that's really beneficial to people to be able to hear real stories. And I'm you know planning on inviting other people on to talk to. Uh, I think that'll be fun. So uh, what's next for me? Probably a lot more storytelling in various forms. Anybody that wants to connect with me, I know you'll put it in the show notes, but uh, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you are, uh, I'm happy to engage with you there. And I love chatting with people and I love learning from people. So even if you didn't like what I said, I hope you'll get on there and be like, hey, Kevin, you know, I didn't really like this. So we can chat and I can learn, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, we all grow together. So don't be afraid to reach out to me, good, bad, or ugly. I want to hear from you. 
Perfect. And Kevin, I know that you know that we love that as well. So uh, definitely on the same path there. So thank you for filling us in on all of the great work that you, that is upcoming. We're really looking forward to that entrepreneurship uh, series. Um, I think that we could benefit from that as well. So that would be really great. Uh, hey, we're to all get in it together. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, we, we appreciate this conversation and your time, Kevin, and we thank you for talking to us as part of our summer series for the Staff Room Podcast and telling us a little bit more about your book, The Perfect Ten. It was a very enlightening conversation, and we know that our listeners will be intrigued to know so much more. Thank you so much, guys. And you've been listening to a perfect episode of the Staff Room Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. All right, we are back from that riveting conversation. Very playful, very fun. You know, every interview has a different dynamic, and a lot of those dynamics really come from what's our history. And we've had a long history, despite social media not being that long, but relatively a long history interacting with Kevin and sharing mm -hmm. resources and sharing content. And I think that resonated through a lot of that conversation yeah. path. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And and Hold on, hold on. Stop. Stop, 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 stop. Uh, oh, I have, hey, I have hey, stopped. Hey. You know what? We love this recaps because then we can push the music. Right. Push the button. Uh-huh. Ready? Yes. I'm going to drop it. Do it. I'm going to push the button. Push it. Button pushing, starting on the Staff Room Podcast. <laughs> and I even get to fade it. And I noticed last week that I didn't. it didn't go as loud. It's much louder when we hear it live than it shows up in yes, the episode. Yes, true. So we can actually push it up a little bit. Yeah. So there you go. It's swag bag time, but there is no swag bag from us because... Right. Yeah. No, it's it's what you take away from the conversation. Who are we to say what you should be taking away? Uh, there are going to be lots of great points that Kevin has made in this conversation. I really enjoyed listening to it. And uh, I was saying that... Um, We've had many conversations with, with Kevin and, uh, and his wife, Anala, and we've talked to them on the drive. We've talked to them just casually as well, and it's been a fantastic time getting to know them and their work a lot better. You're right. Anala and Kevin are doing great work, lots of work, whether it's books, whether it's their company, whether it's their new podcast, and it's really, they're very, very transparent to their journey in education, and we really appreciate Kevin being able to spend some time with us here. That's right, and we also appreciate when you spend time with us on The Drive. The Drive is on Friday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Lots of talk, lots of tunes, lots of global connections. And maybe even some high school English teachers. Mmm, just a few. And you've been listening to the Staff Room Podcast with Che, the Hurricane, Cheney, and Path, Wander, Woman, Wander. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We look forward to seeing you again next time. <laughs>